Welcome. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. I'm Ernesto Sambrano. Today's article is by Noah Johnson from the November 2022 edition of GQ, The Legend of the World's Greatest Sweatshirt, Part 1. Please note, this is a men's magazine and as such may include offensive topics or language. For decades, Barry Schwartz has devoted his life to making the highest quality sweatshirts on the planet. Along the way, he's endured fire and flood, heavyweight competition, and the hollowing out of the American textile industry. Now the fashion world has taken notice, and demand is skyrocketing. You've probably never heard of Camber, an apparel company founded in Philadelphia in 1982, though you likely know its garments, or ones that are inspired by them. It's knitwear, sweatshirts and tees mostly, is distributed globally and often outsells the apparel of brands in New York, London, Toronto, Paris, and Tokyo with ten times the hype. Camber sweatshirts, in particular, have gotten very buzzy lately, but what makes the company remarkable transcends any trend. The company makes sweatshirts like Rolex makes watches, which is to say, with a degree of care that borders on the mythic, and it defies all kinds of modern expectations about where and how clothes get made. Camber's story, which is largely untold, is the story of the greatest sweatshirt ever made, and the only way to fully understand it is to put one on, to feel its heft and quality though that has become a hard thing to do. Those sweatshirts, Camber's coveted cross-knit hoodies and crewnecks, are manufactured in an early 20th century factory in Norristown, Pennsylvania, 20 miles northwest of Philadelphia. The three buildings form a U-shaped white brick and stone colossus that sits on the bank of the Schuylkill River. The 5,000-square-foot Camber factory sits within an 80,000-square-foot industrial complex. But when I visit one Friday morning, I find most of the ground floor empty. A long, dim hallway leads me to a labyrinth of rooms that make up the main office, and there, through several panes of glass, I see Barry Schwartz, Camber's founder and CEO. Working at a large, municipal-style desk in a tidy office, he appears to be the only person in the entire place. It's about 9 a.m., and he tells me he's already been here for hours. Schwartz, who is 71 but looks 50, is wearing a hunter green thermal-lined zip-up sweatshirt with a collar no hood, model number 130, over a navy blue mock neck long sleeve tee, model number 306. His beard is meticulously trimmed. He's got the unhurried, slightly on edge demeanor of a guy who's used to getting a lot done before most people's workdays start. On the wall behind him, there's a framed photo of his camber branded Diasio. What he says is a three-quarter scale replica of a mid-80s Porsche 962. Among Schwartz's many hobbies is race car driving. There are no family photos on his desk, because Schwartz is not married and has no children. Across the room from his desk, there is a wall of filing cabinets. On top of those cabinets, there is a sprawling stack of clipboards. The clipboards are arranged three, four deep. Each one represents multiple orders, Schwartz tells me. The clipboards keep piling up, because Camber's business is booming. Schwartz runs a wholesale-only operation meaning these orders are not for individual customers, but for brands, shops, and other businesses. His client roster spans a wide spectrum that includes high-fashion retailers like Sassense, as well as auto parts manufacturers in Detroit. But in the past year, the typical wait time for a wholesale order to ship from the factory has grown from four to six weeks to something like eight months. Larger orders do not get bumped to the top of the pile. 
You can't pay Schwartz extra to expedite your order, either. For the most part, he chips away at the clipboards in the exact sequence that the orders arrived, progress governed by the trickle of fabric coming in from his supplier, and the moderate pace at which his team, which includes two cutters and about thirty sewers, can assemble the garments. This system suits Camber for two reasons. The last thing any clothing manufacturer wants to see is the market flooded with products that end up steeply discounted or dumped into outlets because they were overproduced. That's wasteful and bad for business. But more important, to Schwartz, is that he's able to operate a morally sound business. If I overdo it and I take in too many orders, I'm just burning people, he tells me. And they're not going to like that. I'm not going to like that. So Schwartz moves at his own deliberate pace. He oversees every aspect of the business, from fabric sourcing to shipping. He runs one shift. There's no night crew coming on at the end of the day, and no deputy to step in to run the show when Schwartz leaves. If a customer gets burned, that's on him. When someone buys a camera sweatshirt and proudly wears it for 20 or more years, that's on him too. For the enthusiasts and aficionados who are willing to wait months for a sweatshirt, the desirability of cambers comes down to two simple things, the quality of the fabric and the sturdiness of its construction. Schwartz relies on many different textiles, but the material he uses to construct his most comfortable garments is the cross-knit fabric, which he developed over 30 years ago with the Pennsylvania mill less than an hour away from the camber factory and which is made using American cotton. It's heavy stuff, 90% cotton, 10% polyester, knit into a 12-ounce fleece, that's the weight of the material per square yard. The typical weight of t-shirt fabric, for example, is about 5 ounces. It feels soft and fuzzy on the underside, with an exterior that is dry and tough, like canvas, and nearly as rigid. Camber's cross-knit sweatshirts come in 11 colors, all of which were offered when the material was introduced over 30 years ago. The fit is roomy at first, inspired by Champion's reverse weave sweatshirt, but shrinks to fit nicely and softens with the wash, or a few hundred washes, like a pair of raw denim jeans. By almost all accounts, the sweatshirts last for a very long time. Schwartz recently got a call from a customer who said that his sweatshirt was falling apart, so he offered to repair it. The customer had been wearing it for over two decades. Today, a camber cross-knit heavyweight pullover hooded sweatshirt will set you back $88. Sizes above XL cost more, up to 6XL, which go for $114. The company's heavyweight cotton t-shirts and thermal line sweatshirts are nearly as popular as the cross-knit pieces and can be just as hard to get. Despite their popularity, the price of camber goods has only ever nudged up incrementally, hardly keeping up with inflation and the rising cost to manufacture textile goods in America. On July 1st of this year, the company did increase prices by 10% to offset the current inflationary situation. And since the brand remains relatively obscure to most consumers, especially compared with other big American workwear brands like Carhartt or Dickies, neither of which exclusively manufactures in the U.S. anymore. The intense desirability of Camber still stems from the simple fact that the company makes a superior product. And that is where its products differ from a Rolex. A Camber hoodie comes with almost no status, yet getting the one you want can be nearly as difficult, in its way, as tracking down a coveted watch. If getting a Camber sweatshirt isn't easy, Making them has been no simple task either. Indeed, the tribulations that Schwartz has endured to keep the business going have been numerous. An ever-present reminder of one such hardship, and one of the root causes of a current camber backlog, flows past the row of windows in Schwartz's office. As the Schuylkill rushes its way toward the Delaware River, it hurries, with roiling, frothy currents, right by the camber factory. 
so close that it feels like it could reach the building. Occasionally it does. In fact, flooding the basement. A year ago, the rains brought on by Hurricane Ida swelled the river to the highest level ever recorded in Norristown and swamped portions of the building where much of Schwartz's inventory was kept. We have a tendency to have the river visit us every so often, Schwartz says. Last year, it visited the first floor, which had never happened in history. The historic deluge destroyed over a million dollars worth of merchandise and snarled a business already hit hard by enormous strains in the global supply chain. Suddenly, customers who had already been waiting months for their camber orders were told they need to sit tight for several more months, and new orders were going to take about six times as long as they typically do to fulfill. But inventory wasn't all that perished. Schwartz had kept meticulous records and an archive of garment samples going back to the company's beginning. Nearly all of it was lost in the flood. The combined devastation of the flood and pandemic-related supply chain issues were a major setback for Camper. But Schwartz didn't miss a day of work. He dealt with the losses the way he had dealt with the myriad of other challenges he's faced over the years. The fire in his family's original Philadelphia factory. Heavy competition from major workwear brands. NAFTA and the widespread kneecapping of American manufacturing. Through it all, Schwartz and Camber have endured simply by sticking to the values he started with, making a good product that he can stand behind, producing it at a humane scale, and never compromising his standards for profit. These ideas have never been more important and more urgent than they are now. Over the past 40 years, Schwartz has figured out something that has eluded so many other American apparel manufacturers. He did it slowly, within his means, on his own terms, and with a clear sense of purpose. Put on a camber sweatshirt, and you feel that. If it costs a few bucks more, and you have to wait a while to get one, maybe that's the point. One night over dinner, Barry Schwartz tells me he's never lost a customer. Ever, he says. In all the years. We're sitting in an Asian fusion restaurant in a strip mall in King of Prussia, sipping green tea. I was told ahead of time that Schwartz is a strict vegetarian, and that he prefers not to eat at a table with meat on it, so I'd agreed to get what he gets. Thinly sliced tofu, stir-fried over brown rice with snap peas and broccoli. He's deeply committed to his particular version of wellness, abstaining from meat and alcohol. I couldn't help but notice that Schwartz arrived driving a white Honda CRV from the early 2000s. Odd choice, I thought, for a man who runs a multi-million dollar clothing business and drives a race car on the weekends. Other curious details emerged as we chatted. Before dropping out of college, a classmate took him to an ashram class and persuaded him to take up kundalini yoga. It seemed like a better hobby than smoking pot, so he stuck with it, along with another kundalini tenet, vegetarianism. Schwartz, who had grown up in Philadelphia, had a background in martial arts. He practiced karate competitively, so the discipline that yoga required was familiar. These days, when he isn't driving race cars or meditating, he's on his road bike. He clocks upwards of 250 miles per week, starting most days watching the sun rise from his saddle. The more I learned about Schwartz, the race car driving, yogi, cyclist, vegetarian who makes sweatshirts for power line workers, the more I began to understand the singular venture that is Camper. As Schwartz tells me, I had an unusual technique in the beginning. For instance, he's never hired a salesperson, opting instead to focus on sales himself. He would find a store that he thought should carry his product, usually located somewhere that's cold for a sizable part of the year, like the Northeast. The first and initially the most popular garment he pushed was a thermal-lined hoodie, which possessed all the qualities that have come to define Camber. It was heavy and sturdy and thick, a sweatshirt unlike anything you'd ever worn. 
To understand its quality, it is helpful to understand the Schwartz family's lineage as garment makers. Schwartz's father, Leo, himself the son of a tailor, went into the business with his brother making high-end women's coats. In 1948, they opened a factory. As a youngster, Schwartz followed his uncle on sales calls, an eager kid pushing the garment rack down the Philadelphia sidewalks to Lord and Taylor. We had a good reputation, Schwartz tells me. They manufactured and sold coats under several brand names and distributed them to department stores across the Northeast. Then, in 1977, tragedy appended everything they'd worked to build. A fire swept through their factory, bringing the first chapter of the family's clothing business to a close. Today, the Pennsylvania Convention Center sits on the plot where the factory once stood. One year later, in 1978, Barry, his father, his brother, his uncle, and a cousin bought a wholesale distribution company that sold apparel to sportswear and Army-Navy stores across the Northeast. But Barry found that working in sales and distribution wasn't a natural fit for him. Because being a distributor, he says, you're like every other distributor. One day in 1981, Schwartz decided to pivot. He'd caught one that an apparel brand called Mayo Spruce was closing. Manufactured in a North Carolina mill, the company's clothing was sturdy and popular, particularly its thermal-lined hooded sweatshirt. This is a great opportunity, Schwartz thought when he heard the news. Let's start manufacturing again. Be unique. It was just a really good product, he recalls. But he had some ideas for how to improve it and make it distinctive. He fiddled with the material to build a weightier sweatshirt, and he raised the wholesale price from $9 to $12. I wanted to make the Cadillac, Schwartz says. I wanted to make the best, heaviest sweatshirt, make it better than Mayo Spruce, and people will appreciate it more. Schwartz was confident that even if his price hike drove away a few customers, he'd succeed in the long run. He remembers thinking, I might lose market share. Instead of selling to 85 people out of 100, I'm only going to sell to 50 people out of 100. But heck, I'm starting out. What do I care? More important, he says, it was something that I felt we could really focus on. Everything was starting to come in from overseas, and I'm thinking, you know what? I really don't like selling stuff from overseas. I'd rather hang my hat on something that I make here. A little bit of pride, I guess. With that pride, Schwartz took his product to market. But it wasn't easy. It was pretty abysmal for that first year, he says. We made ten dozen in total. They didn't know me, Schwartz says, referring to the retailers he was pitching. They didn't know who I was and what I could do. Schwartz did manage to pick up one distributor during that first run, though, and that proved vital. They'd give me the buyer, and I would introduce myself and at the same time throw it at them, Schwartz says. I'm like, here, feel this, and I say, I'm making that in Philadelphia. What do you think? And nine times out of ten, actually ten times out of ten, they would like it enough to say, yes, I could try some. I knew as soon as they'd get the first dozen in, they would love it and they would be a customer. That's when he says it. I've never lost a customer, ever, in all the years. So, I guess I was making the right thing. In the mid-80s, Schwartz added colors beyond the black, navy, gray, and green that Mayo Spruce made. He specialized in big and tall sizes, which many brands didn't offer. But, as he hoped it might, the thing that made Schwartz's thermal-lined zip-up hooded sweatshirt stand out was its weight. No one else in the market had figured out how to make them like he did, and he set a standard to which other brands could aspire. Schwartz still believes that other American workwear brands, like Carhartt, were influenced by his product. A representative from Carhartt said the company was unable to confirm whether Camber's designs serve as an inspiration for the brand's thermal zip-up sweatshirts, which first appeared in 1987. Regardless, 
Schwartz says his competitors would be hard-pressed to make sweatshirts quite like his, anyway. They were a little more expensive, but people were willing to pay. Sales were good, and Schwartz saw a chance to replicate his success by producing athletic sweatshirts like the ones being made by Champion and Russell Athletic. He focused on Champion's heavyweight reverse weave. It really was a replica of their product, he says, just upgraded. He developed the fabric exclusively with the mill he still works with today. No one else uses it, although plenty try. Schwartz says he still receives the occasional call from big American fashion businesses looking to find out where he sources his fabrics or asking to buy material directly from him. Like many domestic manufacturers, Schwartz cites the enactment of the North American Free Trade Agreement in 1994 as the moment his industry changed. Back before NAFTA, it was almost like a free, even playing field, he says. Once NAFTA occurred, and all those companies like Carhartt and Champion and Woolrich, they started thinking about profits, and that was the end of it. So let's take all the Levi's and make them in Mexico. Let's make all the t-shirts in the Dominican Republic. It goes on and on. So I just said, no way. I'm going to make it here. But why not open a factory overseas like the rest of them? Surely he could replicate the quality of a camber sweatshirt anywhere in the world. It's not like making bagels in New York. Then I'd be like everybody else, Schwartz says, selling out. If I had an assembly line and I was making blueberry pies, I could make 20,000 of them a day. Or I could make homemade pies and sell them to several nice high-end restaurants. That's what I prefer to do. This strategy worked to his advantage in ways he might not have predicted. In the mid-90s, Schwartz started noticing greater interest in his products at trade shows from Japanese retail buyers. He says one season he met with a single Japanese buyer, the next season there were 10, and the season after that there were 50. He hasn't done a trade show in 15 years, but that period established his presence globally. At times, as much as 50% of Canberra sales have been overseas. The internet kind of blows things up, says Schwartz. We're just doing whatever we can to take care of everybody. That brings us to the end of today's article, The Legend of the World's Greatest Sweatshirt, Part 1. If you want to learn more about AirZLA and the types of programs we offer, follow us by clicking on any of the social media links at the top of our webpages. If you like what you see or hear, please click the like button. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind, low vision, and print-impaired listeners. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Ernesto Sambrano, and I'll be back soon with another article. Thanks for listening.